Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. If you don't know where the book, where the book of Luke is, uh, in your Bible, you have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. So uh, it's, the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke in the New Testament. So Luke chapter number 24, the last chapter in the, the book of Luke. Uh, while you're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started, and, uh, and I believe God's going to do something great today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much. For the goodness of Jesus. Lord, it, what, what signified from the standpoint of who Jesus is and, and why he came and what it, how important it is to us, Lord God, because honestly, based upon our own sin, we could not get to you on our own. And so in turn, you had to send your son your one and only son, Jesus, to this earth so that he could live on this earth and and do great and mighty things. But the most important thing he did was that he went to a cross for sins he didn't commit. And then three days later, he rose in victory over that sin so that we can put our faith and trust in what Jesus did so that we too can have a resurrection. We too can be in heaven with you, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. And so, Lord, today I pray for the person that maybe has some questions. Maybe they're wondering a little bit. Maybe they, maybe they want to believe, but they're still hesitant in taking that step. And so, Lord God, I pray you be with that person right now. And, Lord God, this is encouraging for us that have already put our faith and trust in Jesus because this is something that we can, we can put, uh, uh, grab a hold on to and, and help us to reaffirm our faith, Lord God, but also, Lord God, to equip us to be able to tell other people about the truth of your resurrection. And so, Lord God, as we go through today, Lord God, I pray everything be done for your honor and for your glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, before we get started, we are going to kind of do a little bit of a review, okay? Uh, So this is the third week in the uh, series uh, After the Resurrection. And so we're going to do a bit of a review. The first week, the title of the message was The First Encounter. And what we talked about that first encounter, it was a personal encounter, and it was a purposeful encounter. And so that first encounter talks specifically about the encounter that Jesus had with Mary Magdalene at the grave. When Jesus is already resurrected, the first person he shows himself to is Mary Magdalene. And we see it's a personal encounter because he he specifically calls her by name. And when he calls her by name, by Mary, she exactly knows who it is being the master Jesus, it was a personal encounter because when it comes to our encounter with Jesus, it is not just for the masses, it is for the individual person. But it was a purposeful encounter and the fact that it talked about that that he wanted wanted her to go tell the others that he was resurrected, that he was alive. And so that Jesus is not in any way, shape, or form trying trying to make the resurrection a mystery and hold it back from people. He wants everybody to know that he is alive and well today. And at the end of that message, what we, what we saw was, even though Mary Magdalene and then even some other women at a different part heard, heard the exact same thing, saw Jesus and had the exact same command to go tell somebody about it, they go back to the original disciples, and the disciples do not believe. So then we picked up last week, in the second week of this series, and we talked, the title of the message was, The Explanation by Jesus Himself. The Explanation by Jesus Himself. It was explained with the scriptures, and it was, it was explained by his actions. 
So last week we looked at another encounter that Jesus had with two different individuals on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And Jesus shows himself and, 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 and starts to talk to them. At first he doesn't reveal himself, but he starts to ask them questions about what's going on, why are they troubled. And they talk to him about Jesus and this crucifixion and, and there's reports that he's alive and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus takes them through the scriptures. And we looked through some scriptures and, and we started with Moses and went through the Psalms and then through the prophets about how the, the, whole, the Old Testament was pointing to a Savior, Jesus. And he started there with the scriptures, but then he actually broke bread in front of them, which was a picture of something they'd seen before. In the feeding of the 5,000, when he, when he took the bread, blessed it and broke it, and then fed the 5,000, and also at the Last Supper, when he blessed and broke the bread and gave it to them as, as, a, as a testimony of, of his body that was going to be broken for them in this crucifixion. And so here's these two guys that have now Jesus has revealed himself to them. So they run and they go tell the disciples, the original disciples. And guess what? The disciples did not believe. And so what we're going to talk about today is actually the fifth time that Jesus reveals himself on the very day, his first day of resurrection, the very day he was resurrected. The first time he's seen is with Mary Magdalene. The second time he's seen is, is of the other women. Then the third time he's seen is of those two, two individuals, those two people that are going on a journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Then there is another encounter that's mentioned, but we don't have any details about it. It is kind of mentioned in, a, in an offset way, but for, we do know, based upon a scripture of the, uh, after these two, these two individuals go and report back to the disciples, that there's a mention of that Jesus has revealed himself to Peter. To Peter alone. Now, we don't know why Jesus revealed himself to Peter alone. It may be because he was the one, remember, that denied Christ three times as he was going to his crucifixion. We don't know why Jesus just interacted and showed himself to Peter. And we don't know exactly, we don't know exactly what Jesus told him or addressed with Peter. That's something that we may never know or maybe we'll know when we get to heaven. I have no clue. But that's four different occasions on this, on this very resurrection day that he has shown himself real and present to people. Now today, he is actually going to show himself present to the disciples. Present to the disciples themselves. Now, if you're taking notes, the title of the message today is The Physical Evidence. The Physical Evidence. That's the title of the message, The Physical Evidence. Now, when I hear the word evidence... I think about a trial. I think about a trial. I don't know about you, but when I hear evidence, I think about a trial. I think about the hey that when when there's a trial happening, they're gonna they're gonna bring some evidence to the table in order to prove if this happened or did not happen. Now I don't have a lot of a lot of uh, uh, knowledge when it comes to the law. Here's about how much knowledge I have of the law right now. What I googled on Friday. <laughs> Okay, that's not a lot. So I thought I'd, I'd pick up the phone and I'd call a local attorney and I just talked to him a little bit about the types of evidence that may be presented in a trial to try to give evidence to what really happened and to try to, in, in, in some way, shape, or form, to try a, 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 a situation, a circumstance, maybe a crime, whatever it may be, that they try that and they present evidence to prove what actually happened happen 
And so there's four types of evidence in law. Now, there's other types of evidence as well, but primarily these are the four types of evidence that can be presented in a trial. The first is testimonial evidence. So this is testimony given by a witness of the action. And so somebody goes on the witness stand and they say, hey, this is what I saw. This is what happened. This is how it happened. This is what was going on before. This is what's going on after. So you have testimonial evidence. Somebody who was there at the scene at the time who says what they saw. Then you have demonstrative evidence. Now, demonstrative evidence is maps, diagrams, animations that support a witness's claim. So this could be, this could be, could be photos, this could be uh, a, a, a diagram, this could be uh, d- different drawings, whatever it may be, to support what the witness is saying to line it up with, hey, here's how we can show that what they're saying matches up with what happened at the scene. Or what was that, what, how, the, how the scene was kind of depicted and where things were and all that kind of stuff. Another type of evidence is documentary, documentary evidence, which is written documents that support the witness's claim. So these are, these are documents that are presented that are written down that can, that can, can coincide with what the witness has said. That look, we have, we have written evidence here in our hands that what was said on the written evidence matches what the witness has said. But there's a fourth type of evidence. A fourth type of evidence. And it's called physical evidence. Physical evidence, a tangible object that can be seen or touched. A tangible object that can be seen or touched. Now, as I was talking to this attorney on Friday... And we discussed the different types of evidence. I said, what is the greatest type of evidence that can be presented in a trial? And he said, by far, by far, the greatest evidence that can be presented is physical evidence. A jury wants to have something they can hold and touch like they they may be talking about something, but if a, if a jury can hold something, can physically put something in their hand, it is amazing how much of a difference that makes in the trial when you have physical evidence. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at some physical evidence of the resurrection. Because really, every, all the other types of evidence, we're going to look at this later on, all the other types of evidence we have seen up to this point, and they still don't believe. And so today we're going to look at some physical evidence. So if you're in Luke chapter number 24, in Luke chapter number 24, we're going to start in verse number 36. Luke 24, verse 36. And it says, as they spake, this, the, the they there is these two individuals that were on the road to Emmaus that saw Jesus. And so they came back, reported to the disciples. And it says, as they spake. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And so in a different section, the book of John that has another account of this encounter right here, it actually talks about that they were shut in or they were locked in to this room. And so Jesus, they're in a locked room, they're in this place, they're kind of wondering, going and hearing all these different stories and all that kind of stuff, and now Jesus is in the midst of them. So he's coming through some locked doors, okay? That's kind of whatever, all right? But notice what he says. Peace be unto you. Then when Jesus comes to them, and and, and, and the first phrase that he talks about, or really the first word he says, he mentions peace. 
Jesus wanted to bring peace to them, wanted to bring comfort to them, wanted to bring peace and comfort to their weary hearts. And, and even from the standpoint of peace to the, the chaos that was going on in their hearts and their mind and, and their confusion, he wanted to bring peace. Now, here's what's kind of interesting about this, and, and, and we'll not go too far with this, but let me help you with this. When it comes to Jesus being in your life, the one thing he wants to bring in your life is peace. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring calm. He wants to bring comfort. So if you're in a place right now where, where you're kind of all there and everywhere and don't know what's going on and kind of like, ooh, the answer is not in the world. The answer is in Jesus, because Jesus brings peace and brings comfort. But let's look at verse 37. What is their response? But they were terrified and frightened, and suppose that they had seen a spirit. So their first reaction is, oh my gosh, what's going on here? I'm a little scared, I'm a little afraid. And here's what they think. We've just seen a ghost. We've just seen a ghost. Because they're in a locked room. This, now, now this person has just re- appeared in front of them, and now they're thinking it's a ghost, and they're scared and afraid, which kind of points to why Jesus said peace, by the way. And then in verse 38, and he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Jesus is wondering why they're afraid. Jesus is wondering why they're doubting. Because here's what's kind of interesting. You know what? Our thoughts and our worries, guess what that does? That just heightens our fear. And so Jesus is, is directly going to them like, why are you troubled? Okay, what, 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 what's going on with your thoughts? What are you thinking about? Like, what is going on? Don't doubt. Don't be troubled. Don't be fearful. Don't be worried. And then we see the first physical evidence presented. So if you're taking notes, number one, we, look, we see the first piece of physical evidence is a physical body. A physical body. A physical body. That's the first piece of physical evidence that we see. A physical body. Let's look in verse 39. It says, Behold, this is Jesus talking, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Notice this. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Okay? So notice Jesus is saying, hey, you're, you're, you're worried, you're, you're, you're confused, you're troubled. And so here's, and notice what he says. He said, behold, behold my hands and my feet. That's kind of interesting because Jesus is saying, look, I want you to see that I have a physical body right now. But he pointed to a particular place on his body. He pointed to his hands and he pointed to his feet. Now, I think that's really interesting because what he's doing here is, is he's wanting to, to help them see that, look, there's a reason why you should look at my hands. There's a reason why you should look at my feet. And he doesn't say just about look. He says, handle and see. Handle and see. Now, here's the deal. When, when you talk about his hands and about his feet, that is pointing back to his crucifixion. Because when they would crucify somebody on a cross, what they would do is they would nail their hands and their feet. And so Jesus was pointing directly to what he, they could see that, hey, this is not just some random person, some random spirit, some random ghost. Notice what's going on with his hands. Notice what's going on with his feet. 
the man that stands before them right now, he has been crucified. Because he points directly to where his hands were nailed and specifically where his feet were nailed. He's pointing to the fact that he is the crucified Christ in front of them. He says, look, touch, feel, know that it's me. Know that it's me. It's a physical body. In verse 40, and when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. So just in case they weren't actually following along and, and actually handling and touching like this, he basically pointed out, like, this is my hands, these are my feet, here's what I want you to touch, here's what I want you to handle. And then in verse 41, he says, And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? Now that phrase, yet, yet believe not for joy, that phrase basically means too good to be true. Too good to be true. That they, they see what they're seeing, they're feeling what they're feeling, but this is too good to be true. This is no way that this could be Jesus in front of them. And so they, 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 they believe, but it's not really for joy because it's like, they're still like, what's going on here? And then Jesus asks a really weird question. Have you here any meat? Now, it's one thing, like, okay, he's showing himself evident. He's talking to himself about a crucified Christ. He's saying, hey, and all. But then he asks a question, do you have any meat? Do you have any meat? Now, here's the second physical evidence that is presented in this account. Not only do we see a physical body, but we also see a physical meal. We also see a physical meal. Now, notice what happens here. Notice what happens here in verse 42. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And notice what he does in verse 43. And he took it and did eat before them. He took it and ate before them. Now, again, when we're talking about physical evidence, we're seeing this physical body that they can touch and they can see and they can feel. But now, Jesus, to, to also, I think, prove that he's not just a ghost or a spirit. I don't know about you, but ghosts and spirits don't eat. But Jesus himself sits down, and there's physical food there, that fish and that honeycomb. And Jesus proceeds to eat that fish and that honeycomb. That fish and honeycomb are things we can physically touch. There's a physical meal in front of him, and Jesus takes that and eats it. Showing that he is alive and well. That he is the resurrected Lord. Now this very moment right here has a huge impact on the disciples. The the fact that they see a, a physical body that they can touch and they can feel and they can see. The fact that he sat down and, and, and ate this fish and this honeycomb. This is a huge deal to, to, to these disciples. Now, if you go on into the book of Acts, go on to the book of Acts. This is after Christ's ascension and, and, and after, after Pentecost when, when they received the Holy Ghost. And then Peter and, and the other disciples are going around sharing the good news of the gospel. And there's one person that, that, that Peter specifically goes and shares the gospel with, a Gentile man named Cornelius. And notice as we, in Acts 10, verse 39, 
In Acts 10, verse 39, as he's, as, he's, as he's witnessing and telling Cornelius about Jesus and the gospel and why he needs to put his faith and trust in Jesus, notice in verse 39, we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, notice, whom they slew and hang on, hanged on a tree, how God raised up the third day and showed him Openly, this is the things we've been talking about, about the fact that he was crucified on a cross, that he rose up three days later, and now he showed himself openly to these disciples, to this disciple specifically in Peter. But notice in verse 41 what he says. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, notice, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Peter talks specifically about this moment where Jesus himself sat down and ate with them, had this fish, had this honeycomb. That was so impactful to Peter that even even several years later, he is still telling that account, telling that story of, hey, here's how we know he's the resurrected Lord. Not just because we can't find a body, not just because there's been some witnesses, It's because, hey, we've physically seen, we've touched, we've felt, and we've seen him eat with us in front of us. He's had a physical meal. And so right here we see two bits of physical evidence that have been shown. A physical body and a physical meal. Now, over the past three weeks, we've looked at different accounts Jesus had after his resurrection. And look at this. What we've done is we've seen different types of evidence along the way. We we have heard testimonial evidence of people who have seen him. Mary Magdalene, I've seen Jesus. The women, I've seen Jesus. The two people walking on the road to Emmaus, I've seen Jesus. Even Peter himself and alone has said, I've seen Jesus. So we've seen testimonial evidence. Witness after witness after witness giving testimony of what they've seen. We, do, we also have documentary evidence from the standpoint of what Jesus points, these two men that go on the road, points to the Scriptures. We have documented evidence in our Bible from, from Moses, from the law, the history, and the poetry, the Psalms, even into the major and minor prophets. We have documentary evidence that we can look right here in our Bible, just in the Old Testament. Now, you have the New Testament that talks about, about Jesus and the Gospels and then points back to Jesus and, as the rest of the New Testament goes, but they didn't have the New Testament at that time. But there's been evidence that's been shown in the Old Testament time after time after time, prophecy fulfilled after prophecy fulfilled. We have documentary evidence right here of the crucifixion and his resurrection. We have demonstrative evidence because you can go to an empty tomb they could go to an empty tomb. They know, they know that the stone was rolled away. They know that there wasn't any. They could see the linen cloths that were laid out. They could see some things. They could see some, some understanding of what exactly kind of happened maybe here because of what they can go see. And now, and now we have the greatest evidence of all. We have physical evidence. Physical evidence. A physical body and a physical meal. So I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but 
But I, and I don't, I don't want to say that, it, that this is exactly how I think everybody would respond. But let's put the resurrection on trial. Let's put the resurrection on trial. And you're the jury. You're the jury. You're going to decide if it's real or not. Is, is, is Jesus just some te- teacher that just came and, 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 and made some, did some really cool tricks and healed some people and did some miracles and, and he was some kind of prophet and then did he die and then he was just dead? Or was truly Jesus God? Was he more than just a teacher? More than just a prophet? More than just a miracle worker? Was he God? And when he went and when he said what he was going to do by going to the cross, then when he went to the cross, when he said he was going to die for the sins of the world, that that's exactly what he could do as God. And as he said himself, then after three days later, after his burial, three days later, did he rise up again in victory over those sin? And is he alive and well? You're the jury. You tell me. Because I don't know about you, but, but when it comes to a trial, it's hard to, to, to prove something really did happen unless there's evidence And here's what I want to tell you. In this, everything we've talked about for the past three weeks, it is not like there's just a little bit of evidence. There's a small amount of evidence. To me, when I look at this, there's an overwhelming, overwhelming amount of evidence that proves the resurrection really happened. We have the testimony, we have the documents. We have a place we can go to from the standpoint of a tomb. And now we have the physical body of Jesus himself and a meal that he has to show that he is alive and well. So based on the facts, based on the evidence that's presented today, if you're the jury, how can you deny the resurrection? How can you deny the resurrection? See, here's what's interesting. I, I told y'all on Easter, and I use this, and I've, I've, I've worn this every single Sunday and every single Wednesday. I've worn this rubber band around my, around my wrist. And I told you that, that when I first got this rubber band, it was, it, it was in, a, in, a, in a team development kind of leadership session. And it was really to challenge our thinking, to open our minds, to challenge our mindsets. And so I've asked you for the, since Easter to, to stretch your mind a little bit. And when it comes to faith, I get it. I get it that, that sometimes blind faith is hard faith. But here's what I want, I want you to really be honest with yourself. If this is not blind faith when it comes to resurrection. For the past three weeks, we have laid out specific things that you can see, that you can comprehend with your mind. But the question is, the question is, will you allow allow your mind to be open? Because God is not focused on reaching your mind. See, here's what's interesting about the Christian life. It is not an intellectual ascent. 
What I mean by that is it's not a, okay, I, I have enough information that I will logically now put my faith and trust in Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It's not an intellectual ascent. What it is, it, it, is a, it is a heart change. It is a recognition that when Jesus died on the cross for sins, it wasn't just for his sins, and it wasn't just for somebody else's sins. It was for my sin. My sin. And because I'm a sinner, I look at God, and I don't measure up to the holy standard of perfection. And so I can't get to God. So how do I get to God? Because I can't get to God. Jesus, or excuse me, God sends Jesus to this earth so that he can pay for the sins. And the only thing I have to do, the only thing I have to do is acknowledge him as Savior and Lord of my life. And repent of my sin. And to put my faith and trust in Jesus. That's all I have to do. That's what salvation is. Plain and simple. Easy as it can be. But it's not about changing your mind. It's about changing your heart. Because here's here's what you could be. Here's what you could be today. Because we, we think and we look and we're like, okay, well, this must have cleared it all up, right? This must have cleared it all up. Everybody should now believe the resurrection. And so when Jesus presented himself to the original disciples, everybody's there with the exception of one. The exception of one. And we, we, we'll talk about him next week. But notice what happens in John 20. John 20. Same account that we have with disciples that's found in Luke. And here's this one disciple, verse 24. But Thomas, Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Notice in verse 25, And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he, meaning Thomas, said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, notice what he says, I will not believe. See, notice, I don't know if you followed along, for the past three weeks, we have seen people say, hey, we saw Jesus, and every single time, there are people that don't believe. Now, we'll talk about Thomas next week, but here's what I want to encourage you about. Really, truly, what more do you need? What more do you need? If you're in a place right now where you're not willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus, my question is, what more do you need? Are you going to be like Thomas? Hey, until, until I can actually physically see God... I'm not going to put my faith and trust in him. Let me help you with this. If you're one of those that say, hey, until I physically see God, I'm not putting my faith and trust in him. Here's what I want to help you with. If you physically see God, that is not called faith. That is not called faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, something you can touch. The evidence, look at this, the evidence of things not seen. Here's what I want to encourage you about. 
for those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. It is going to take faith. It's going to take faith. You're going to have to choose to believe. And let me help you with this too. Nobody can do it for you. And if we're being completely honest, no amount of evidence is going to convince you. You're going to have to open your heart, recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, put your faith and trust in Him, and confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And so here's what I want to do. Don't turn it off. This is the most important part of the whole entire message. At this very moment, I don't care what your church background is. I don't care how how faithful you are in giving, serving, coming to church. I don't care. You may be the worst of the worst. You may be the best of the best in your eyes. But the person right now, you know, you know whether you put your faith and trust in Jesus or not. You know. Well, how do I know, Buchanan? Because right now, right now, God is speaking to your heart. And if you know God is speaking to your heart, assurance. But if you don't know God is speaking to your heart, doubt. Here's what God is speaking to your heart. Listen to Him. Here's what God is speaking to your heart. What He's speaking to your heart is, hey, listen up. Here's here's what God is, is speaking to your heart right now. Stop playing games. Stop making excuses. Stop saying all the reasons why you can't. And start opening your heart to see that you can. See, here's what's cool about the gospel. Jesus took the first step. Jesus took the first step. Remember, we couldn't get to God, so God came down to us. Jesus took the first step. And here he is, right now, in this very moment, here he is, Jesus is with his arms wide open saying, Believe on me. Put your faith and trust in me. I can give you a home in heaven. I can save you from your sin. I can give you an abundant life here on this earth. He's saying, come to me. But here's the deal. You got to be willing to come. You got to be willing to come. So this time, if you want to make that decision, if you will, God, right now you're under Holy Spirit conviction. What that means is that there's something going on in your heart. You may not understand it, but God's doing a work in your heart right now. If you're under Holy Spirit conviction right now, here's the thing I want you to do. Make a decision based on that conviction. Quit trying to run from God. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to think that maybe your good deeds will get you there. They will not. Now's the time. Now's the time to put your faith and trust in in Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray. And if you're ready to make that decision, I want you to pray along with me. It's a very simple prayer. It's not about a prayer. It's not about the words you say. It's about what you believe in your heart. 
Words spoken out loud or even to ourselves won't do anything. But words spoken in our heart can change us. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that there are people right now watching that have never put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, right now, as they are under Holy Spirit conviction, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. Not another day, not someday, not one day when they're older or when things or situations, circumstances change in their life. No, today. Today, Lord. Lord, I pray they would put their faith and trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray that they would pray as I pray. Not pray with just their words, but pray with their heart. First and foremost, Lord God, they would say this, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I've come short of the glory of God. And the penalty for my sin is death and hell. And so, Lord God, I admit I'm a sinner. That they would then say that I I believe that you came and died on the cross for my sin. And that three days later, you rose up in victory over my sin. Lord, I believe in the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe. And then finally, Lord God, that they would pray, that they would confess you as Lord and Savior of their life. And for every single person, Lord God, that has already made this decision, Lord God, I pray that you give them assurance upon assurance they truly are saved and have a home in heaven. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, not with your, not with your words, but with your heart, we want to help you. We want to help you. We literally have people standing by that would love to reach out to you and to help you with this decision. So if you've made this decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I just want you to, on the comment section, if you're watching on Facebook right now, I want you in the comment section to say, I believe. I believe. And when you do that, we're going to have somebody reach out to you so we can help you with your next steps and help you in your journey and what it means to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. But it's just to those two small words, I believe. Now, if you're not watching on Facebook right now, if you're not live with us, maybe you're watching us at a later time or maybe you're watching on Vimeo or something like that, you can email me personally. You can email me personally. It's Buchanan, B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N at templebaptistfairview.com. Hopefully at this point it's on the screen, but I'll say it one more time. Buchanan, B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N at templebaptistfairview.com. This is the most important decision you can ever make in your life. And if you're, and like I said, if you're already saved, hopefully this message just gave you more assurance that the resurrection is real. But if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, what are you waiting for? He's calling. It's time for you to answer. Hey guys, just want to let you know, I love each and every one of you. I pray for you on a consistent basis. And even though we're meeting in a very different way, hopefully that's coming to an end sooner than later. I'm ready to see y'all. I'm excited that we can still get the gospel out, still get the message of the truth of who Jesus is out to not only this community, 
but really around the USA and around the world. So guys, I love you. Don't forget, keep smiling.